The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. This morning I get the privilege, the honor of uh, preaching, uh, mainly because of uh, Jason's upcoming mission trip to Africa will include lots of teaching and, and leadership there. And so instead of spending the week preparing for this sermon, took the time to prepare for what he would be teaching and, and leading in, in Africa. And so we are going to continue through our uh, study of Hebrews 11 and pick up where we left off last week. So starting in verse... We're going we're gonna to start reading in verse 23 and read through verse 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is um, a passage that comes after a long line of statements that begin with by faith. Right? We should be used to this by now. As we say, we're continuing in the Hebrews 11, pretty much you can rest assured that we're going to start by this, with this phrase, by faith, which is good. It's helpful. It's helpful for him to remind us every single time we look at a new person that the, the theme, the reason why he's talking about them is he's pointing towards their faith. Because faith is one of those terms that if you've grown up in church, been involved for a while, sometimes we're so familiar with this term faith we use it so often that we can forget exactly what it means. And if, if someone were to come ask you, what, what is faith? You might have a hard time, to defi- hard time defining it. I know it, it has been hard for me. And a great place to start would be quoting the very first verse. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. But... It's obvious here that the author has spent very little time defining what faith is and much more, the majority of his time, demonstrating what faith does. He walks us through all these examples of faith, showing how it was faith that informed these attitudes and actions of obedience. So what have we learned about faith so far. Faith is, is, faith is what we offer to God and how we offer it. 
faith is and informs where we go and why we go there. Faith is what we desire and what we consider valuable. Faith is how we respond to loss, suffering, and even persecution. And this morning in verses 27 and 28, faith is how we respond to fear and danger. Faith is how we respond to fear and danger. And this breaks up pretty well. Verse 27, we're going to see the first point, that faith fears no man. And in verse 28, we're going to see that faith fears no man, but faith does fear God. So in this passage, in verse 27, the question is, what is faith up to this week? Well, in verse 27, it says, by faith, then look for the verb. What is the verb? Talking about Moses. He left. He left Egypt. This is what faith, this is how faith informed Moses' obedience in this section the author is talking about. He left Egypt. Okay, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you might have a couple of different things on your mind. This is actually one of the hardest parts of this whole text to understand. When did Moses leave Egypt? And which passage or which part of the Exodus account is he talking about here? And I think it's important to talk about this for two reasons. Number one, because we should always think deeply about the Bible. We should always think deeply about how to interpret the text accurately. And number two, because if you don't think deeply about it, somebody else is going to, and they're going to challenge. They're going to challenge your belief and your faith and confidence in the Scriptures by pointing to things like this. What am I talking about here? Moses technically left Egypt twice, right? The first time we read about in Exodus 2, verses 11 to 15, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that. Why did he do that? Because you're worried he's going to see. He saw no one. So he struck down the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. Why do you hide? You're afraid you're going to get caught. When he went out the next day, behold, the two Hebrews were struggling together. Our two Hebrews were struggling together. He said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he, the, the man answered him, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was, there's our word, afraid. And he thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, the king of Egypt, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. This passage is really a turning point in Moses' Moses' life. Like before, he's, he's had all these uh, incredible things happen to him through the providence of God and, and his family and even Pharaoh's palace. But here, Moses has experienced something that's going to make him, it's a make or break moment for him. This is his first flight from Egypt. And why does he run? Well, he's really running from Pharaoh. 
who seeks to kill him because he is now a murderer of the Egyptian people. Now, this is the first time Moses has left Egypt. The second one is really the one they make all the movies about, right? This is the big Exodus event where Moses leaves Egypt for good and takes the people with him, right? Which leaving of Egypt is referenced here in Hebrews 11.27. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. If we say it's the first one, what's the issue with that? Well, there's Exodus 2.14 says he was afraid. If we say that it's the second time, what's the issue here? I'll point it out. We, we won't go into much detail. But the, the issue is that up till now, the author of Hebrews has been following in chronological order of the biblical account. Right? So which one comes first? Moses leaving Egypt in the Exodus event or the Passover? Right? The Passover was really the, the impetus behind the people being able to leave Egypt. Right? It was the, the final plague. So now we've put the Exodus, if we think that he left Egypt on the second time, he, he's left Egypt, but now the author is going to talk about keeping the Passover. And then we get to uh, crossing over the Red Sea on dry land in verse 29. So there's a little bit of a mix-up of order here. Now, I don't know if that hits you as a problem. It may not. In, in our Western way of thinking, we think very linearly. Right? We want everything in chronological order. We ask all the historical critical questions of how this happened and when. I'm not sure that scriptures are really all that concerned with doing it like that. Up to this point, it has. But if you look ahead in verse 32 of Hebrews 11, he mentions Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. Now, that's a, that's a really quick just reading of the list. But out of those, is it in chronological order? It is not. If you're, if you're like me and you say, those, those are four judges, I can't remember who came first. Well, then just look at David and Samuel. Who came first? Samuel. So if we're, if we're trying to follow a strict chronology of the Old Testament, I'm not sure the Scripture has that same uh, conviction that it's important And if I would put all my cards on the table, I do prefer the second option, the second leaving, which would put it out of a strict order, but it seems to make the most sense of what happens. And there are people on all sides. I mean, um, even someone that I trust as, as dearly as John Piper would prefer the first one. And then John Calvin would prefer the second one. And, and here, before I, we go any further in this, I want to offer you a great comfort in this. How do we understand this? Is it just a matter of looking deeply, interpreting as best we can? Even those who have done that have come away saying, I'm really not sure. So where does comfort come in that? Comfort comes because this book of Hebrews has the writer, the author of this epistle, not proven his incredible grasp of the Old Testament. I mean, he knows it backwards and forwards. He's interpreting it in ways that I, there was no way I would have been able to see that. Can we trust 
the fact that when he says, by faith, Moses left Egypt not afraid of the king's anger, that he's correct? Yes, of course we can. If there is any disagreement between Hebrews eleven twenty seven and Exodus two fourteen, the disagreement is with our interpretation and understanding. It would not be with what God's word holds. That doesn't erase every issue. That doesn't mean it's easy. But we have to think of the whole context of Hebrews eleven and that this author he knew Exodus two fourteen and was still able to write. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. We'll talk more as we go along about why I think it's it's probably the second one, but if you disagree with that, there's another church. Just right. I'm just kidding. If you disagree with that, I say I understand. I understand, and this is a hard interpretive issue. But the question is: By faith, he left Egypt. Why was faith necessary for his departure? You would say, or you might be thinking. I would leave too. It sounds, sounds terrible there. Sounds like when the new king of Egypt, the new Pharaoh came in, forgot Joseph and started punishing the Hebrew people as they were prospering. I would leave too. Why is this such a big faith moment for Moses? If you know his story, you're probably familiar with why this was such a big faith moment. Number one, because Moses struggled with fear and insecurity. Right, The Lord comes to him in the burning bush in Exodus 3. And what is Moses' first response? Who am I? Who am I that I should go? The very next chapter, the Lord is giving him his task of going before Pharaoh. And Moses is arguing with the Lord again. Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent in speech. Either in the past or since you've spoken, you're a servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord says to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Go, and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And Moses' response, yes, I'm going to be faithful. No. My Lord, please send someone else. Then we get the anger of the Lord kindled against Moses. This departure from Egypt pushed Moses, a man who has dealt with fear. Not to mention that, it wasn't just the Lord's threat against him and the Lord's anger burning against Moses, kindled against him. There was Pharaoh's threat of death when he left Egypt Right, Exodus 10, 28 to 29, after Moses has explained, uh, I think this is actually the ninth plague, um, I'm not certain. Pharaoh says to Moses, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Pharaoh's angry. The author of Hebrews points that out. The king is angry about this. He has endured all of these plagues, keeps changing his mind and suffering the consequences for it. And eventually, after the, um, the Passover, he tells Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel to go. And then this is what we find in Exodus 
14, 5 to 14. When the king of Egypt was told the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, Oh, what have we done? We have let Israel go from serving us. And so he made ready his chariot, took his army with him, took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them. Would you be scared? All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea by P, however you want to say that, in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. They cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out to Egypt, out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. See how their fear makes them operate? And Moses says to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I think this is the departure from Egypt where Moses has proven that he is not afraid. In fact, on the last, if you read through the Exodus account, on the last time that Moses stands before Pharaoh, it says he offers his threat and then Moses walks away in hot anger. The tables have turned. Moses is no longer afraid. He is angry at the hardened heart of Pharaoh. If this is the moment that we see Moses exercising his faith when he leaves Egypt and he's not afraid. How is it that his faith gave him the courage to leave Egypt? How is it that Moses' faith gave him the courage to leave Egypt? Honestly, he gives us the answer right there at the end of verse 27. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is another reason why I think it's that second Exodus event because endured is what? It's a process. The, the word there is persevered. It's, it's the only time this, this particular word is used in the New Testament, which it's, we're very sure that it means to persevere. You don't persevere in a single moment. You persevere, as the author of Hebrews has been teaching us, for your entire life. So Moses, not fearing the anger of the king, was a long endeavor, a long endeavor. He endured, he endured a wishy-washy Pharaoh. You can leave, you can't leave. You can leave, you can't leave. He endured the pain 
of increasing the labor burden of the Hebrews when he approached Pharaoh. Every time he would go talk to Pharaoh, Pharaoh would say, increase the amount that they're working. That was difficult. He endured and would endure the stubbornness of the people he was leading in the desert. This word faith is so often found next to the word endurance, especially in the book of the Hebrews. Faith, within the life of faith, there is growth. And it may start small, but it builds. How? How does it build? And you may be asking this question because you say, I've tried. I've tried. I can't do things like Moses did. That's good. Because you're responding to God's call the exact same way that Moses did. The way that many of these mentioned in Hebrews 11 responded. Abraham, and he was a mixed bag of faith and fear. He goes to Egypt out of fear. He doesn't tell Pharaoh that Sarai is his wife out of fear. But in the end, the story that's referenced here, when Abraham does not withhold his son, what does God say at the very end? After he says, Abraham, do not kill your son and provides the ram. He says, now I know that you fear God. These people endured through a mixture of faith and fear. Their faith was built. How was it built as they were enduring? The author of Hebrews says, as seeing him who is invisible. Now, what in the world does that mean? It almost seems like a logical contradiction in and of itself. As seeing him who is invisible. That word invisible is literally the word unseen. It is the opposite of seeing. How do we see him who is invisible? This is how the author started out this whole section. That faith is the conviction of things not seen. It, it should not surprise us that much. And then we also think about it in the context of Moses. Now Moses was probably the one, if you ever were asked a question, has anybody ever seen God? He's probably the number one person to pop in your, in your mind. Why? Well, we've already mentioned the burning bush, the Lord appearing to Moses. What about the conversations that Moses had with the Lord on Mount Sinai in the tent? And after he got done talking to the Lord, he'd come back down and had to wear a veil over his face because his face shone with the glory of God. What about the famous event where Moses says, Lord, show me your glory? Even Exodus 33, 11 says this, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. What are we supposed to do with all this? Because when Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory, the Lord says, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. Not to mention John chapter 1, that no one has ever seen God. Not to mention 1 Timothy 1, that we read as our call to worship. 
that God is the immortal, invisible one? How do we see him who is invisible? Maybe this is a frustration that you have in your own life. Like, Lord, I would do the things that you've called me to do. I've ne- I don't even know who you are. I've never seen you. For Moses, uh, I would sum it up like this. Moses, as seeing him who is invisible, it reminds us that Moses never laid his eyes on God in all of his physical glory. It never happened. What did Moses see? I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. But the Lord himself says, you cannot see my face and live. But God did manifest himself multiple times to him, right? So Moses lived with such an awareness of God's presence, such anticipation of God's promises, that number one, he counted God's promises as good as done, and he considered God's presence as clear as day. Did Moses have to see God in all of his glory to have faith? No. In fact, it was his faith that probably made him stop demanding it. He believed God. You can't see me and live. Uh, Calvin, in his commentary on Hebrews, writes it as, as well as I could have if I had worked for years on this. In short, God appeared to Moses in such a way as to still leave room for faith. There is no faith necessary if you have laid your eyes on the one true God. Right? Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Right? This is why 1 Corinthians, when Paul talks about what will remain after faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love, faith, and hope, they don't remain forever. You don't need faith and hope when what is promised to you comes in fullness, when what you have been longing to see, you finally see. No need for faith or hope anymore, but love. That's our first point. Faith fears no man. And the second one, but faith does fear God. I don't know about you. I don't like being afraid of things. I grew up afraid of lots of things. The dark, roller coasters, scary movies, performing in front of audiences. You name it, I was probably scared of Vegetables. (laughs) Getting older... It has been one of my mantras that I don't want to be afraid of these things anymore. I've pushed myself. I like roller coasters. I could deal with heights. get a little shaky. Snakes, right? The things that you grow up and you're just like, I'm not doing this. I, I don't like being afraid of these things. I'm saying that not to put myself on a pedestal. I'm saying that because I'm asking the question, is fearlessness the goal of a Christian? Is fearlessness a proper goal of a Christian? And my argument would be because of the countless times that we're told to fear God. Fear God. The Lord wants Abraham to prove that he fears God. Fearlessness is not the goal. In fact, if we were not supposed to fear, I don't think we would have been made with the capacity to fear. Our fear should, instead of being directed at no thing, 
should be directed at the right thing. It's the same way as love. We're made with the capacity to love. It can be so easily misdirected in the wrong place. The scriptures teach us that faith directs our love towards the proper place and our fear. And this is important because I don't think there are two more powerful forces in the entire world than fear and love. They have to be sanctified. They have to be pointed in the right direction because those two things determine what we do and what we don't do. So verse 28, faith is up to something else. By faith, Moses left Egypt, and by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So by faith he left, and by faith he kept. This is, at its base level, a demonstration of Moses' faith. To do what the Lord has asked him to do. He gave him the command, Exodus 12, we read it this morning. He believed what God said, and therefore he kept the Passover. And that's how faith works. But this also holds up Moses as the example of how faith shaped his fear. And on this passage, it doesn't mention fear. So why am I saying this? The story in Exodus is a story of two kings, right? There is a true king, and then there is a false king. And both of these kings get mad at Moses. There are two destroyers in Egypt, the false destroyer, who himself will be destroyed, and a true destroyer, and both state their own threats of death for Moses. Which one does he fear? It's funny to think of the plagues and everything as a, a rival, a rivalry between the king of Egypt and the king of the earth, because there is no match. But the story of the Exodus proves that, right? At every turn, Pharaoh is overdone, outdone, um, and the Lord wins. And in doing so, the Lord proves his glory as the king of all creation. But just, just because we see that now doesn't mean that Moses didn't wrestle with fear. Do you think that there was fear on the night, the night of the 10th plague, even for the people of Israel? I mean, parents... When you think about fear, I know my mind, it doesn't go towards me. It goes immediately towards my children. That's just how my mind works. I don't think that's uncommon. I'm, I'm, I am scared of very little things for myself. I'm scared of a lot for my children. How do you think these parents of Israel that had Israelite children felt the night that the destroyer, the angel of death, would pass through Egypt. They have their blood on their doorposts. But would you have slept that night? Moses 10, Moses, Matthew 10, 28 says this, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy 
both soul and body in hell. Faith does not fear man, but faith does fear God. When Moses keeps the Passover, when he sprinkles the blood on the doorposts, why does he do it? Verse 28 says, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. That's the reasoning we get here. What does that tell you? That he was afraid that the destroyer of the firstborn would touch them. He knew that Israel was just as guilty as Egypt in the grand scheme of things. That sin had infected and affected even God's people. And without the blood of the lamb, their firstborns were not secure in the same way that Egyptian firstborns were not. So when Moses, by faith, keeps the Passover, he is following God's command so that he, so that the firstborns of Israel would not die. But he also knows what it means to refuse God and stay in Egypt and not leave Egypt and not listen to God and not obey. He knows the end result of a life full of idolatry, of not knowing God, of rejecting his word and sitting on the throne of his own life and saying, God, send someone else. I'm not going to do it. He knows the end result for people that choose that way that they will be judged and suffer eternal death. Is that supposed to strike fear in us? I think so. Not in the same way that it strikes fear in the Egyptians. And why not? Because by faith, we trust in the blood of Christ. That doesn't mean that eternal destiny, the thought of eternal hell, isn't heavy and scary. I think it should be a fearful thought. But faith takes God at his word to believe that we are safe and secure by the blood of the lamb. Faith fears no man, but faith does fear God. Moses demonstrates this. It's, it's a process for him that he endures through. He proves that he fears God by keeping the Passover. But I'll close with this question. What, what are you afraid of? And, and that, can, that can be a silly question if you start naming things like spiders, public speaking, like, let's just all name our fears. Is that the point of this passage? That faith can help you conquer those fears? I don't think so. That is, a, that is that's a simplification of it. The point of this passage is how the mission of God will certainly involve frightening, uncomfortable, and dangerous situations. And how will you respond? <clears throat> 
Moses was called to deliver the people of God from slavery in Egypt, walk them through some difficult years in the wilderness, see them into the promised land. And this involved frightening, uncomfortable, and dangerous situations. That task is not exactly your call. God doesn't need another person to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, but he has called us to a different task. It's very much related to Moses' task. He's called us to make disciples of all nations. Are the nations a frightening, uncomfortable, and dangerous place? Even just mentioning the name Israel this morning should prove yes. Will you respond with a faithless fear? One that fears man? One that fears the dangerous, uncomfortable, and frightening place more than you fear God? Or will you respond with a faithful fear? that trusts the Lord and fears the eternal consequences of not doing so. I don't know, what, what do you think this looks like in your life? One of, the, one of the reasons why a passage like this is so hard to apply, when we read, we can skip over very quickly. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover. It's, okay, yeah, we... We take the Lord's Supper. Yeah, if I was in Egypt, I would have left too. Okay, that's helpful. The point of this is faith will call you to do hard things. How will you respond? The reason why a passage like this is so hard to apply to our lives is because I think that we have been so subtly influenced by a prosperity gospel. That faith is and calls us to comfort and security. I don't think that's true. I, don't, I think Moses learned that it wasn't true. And I would never say, all right, the first thing you should do is go just find the most dangerous place on the map Leave your family behind, forsake all things, and just go out there and hold the Bible up, telling people to repent and believe in Christ. Why do I not say that? Think about the, the, the verse that came before ours, talking about Moses' parents that were not afraid of the king's edict. And so they had a child, and they did not put their child to death. That was an act of faith. But what did they also do by faith? hit him. There was wisdom in that. Was that a faithless act? Was that only um, motivated by fear of the king's edict? No. It was, that was faithful. We, we believe, Lord, he's calling us to kill our children. We're not going to do that, but we will hide him. We will live with wisdom and fear and Church, my encouragement to you is you can act on your faith in dangerous, uncomfortable, and frightening situations. And you can trust that the Lord will take care of you. 
problem is those situations don't often find you. You have to be serving the Lord to typically encounter a situation like that. I pray that we do that. Would you pray with me? Father, we turn to your table to take this bread, to take this wine. Because we actually do fear the consequences of a life lived without the blood of Jesus. We approach this table with reverent fear, but also full of boldness, as the author of Hebrews talks about. We have confidence God, would you make us people of courage and bravery, but also keep us as people who fear God? Would you put us in the dangerous, uncomfortable, and frightening places that we would trust you as we make disciples of all nations? slightest level of comfort would not be taken as a sign that we're not supposed to be there. But it would be a call to endure. Would you make us aware of your presence with us, even though we do not see you? Give us eyes of faith that we would walk by faith and not sight. We need the power of your Holy Spirit that you give us to do this or else we'll be asking the same questions as Moses did. Who am I? Can you please send someone else? We trust in Jesus. Make us people of faith and obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.